Welcome to the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. This is Lisa Gonzalez. You know, the results of our work here are often used by decision makers, um, those who establish policy, and very often our work brings a heightened awareness to the public. As a way to keep up with the innovative thinking that happens at ILSR, we've decided to offer this short podcast um, series titled, What You Working On? Now, the idea is to touch base with my colleagues at ILSR on a regular basis and to let them share their current and future plans. Our hope is that one of the many projects at ILSR will also inspire you. My first discussion is with Stacy Mitchell. Stacy leads the independent business and banking initiatives at ILSR, and in addition to her schedule as a lecturer across the country, Stacy contributes regularly to publications such as Business Week, The Nation, and The Huffington Post, and uh, many others. She wrote the acclaimed Big Box Swindle, The True Cost of Mega Retailers, and The Fight for America's Independent Businesses, which gives a detailed look at the economic trend that's contributing to the loss of our middle class. Stacy and I talked briefly about the Independent Business Initiative at ILSR and what's next for the program. Today we're talking with Stacy Mitchell. Hi, Stacy. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Um, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to give us a little information about the Independent Business Initiative. How did you get into that? And um, what are the goals? Um, and just kind of give us an overview for the people who aren't familiar with ILSR or that particular branch of our work. Um, we would like to hear more. Well, it's the initiative is about 10 years old. Um, you know, we got started uh, back in late 90s, early 2000s when uh, a lot of communities around the country were really concerned because there was this just massive proliferation of chain stores and big box retailers, uh, independent businesses were closing, you know, really the heart and soul of local economies was being gutted. And, uh, you know, companies like Walmart and Target and Home Depot were uh, taking over so many different communities. And we began to do some research and to look at what the impacts were. And we found that they're quite far reaching, um, that there is a lot of evidence to suggest that there is an enormous hidden cost uh, to corporate Retailers and that the loss of independent businesses um, is something that um, you know communities really shouldn't take lightly, and that we have a great deal um, to lose when those local businesses go by the wayside. And we began to um, develop and promote strategies and policies that communities uh, and, in some cases, state governments could adopt to um, to strengthen and protect local business and to kind of limit some of this uh, consolidation. And it just really took off uh, like wildfire because there were, at the time, you know, a lot of citizens were quite concerned at the grassroots level, but there weren't many places to turn for assistance. And we were one of the few national organizations really focusing um, on that issue. And so we started getting a lot of calls and a lot of interest. Um, and over the years, you know, the program has evolved. We, you know, what has happened is that there are all these organizations that have sprung up locally and local policymakers who've really taken some of our ideas and, and run with them locally, refine them and develop them into new models, which we then take and distribute nationally, and it sort of grows from there. Um, we've been a leader in helping to um, develop the Independent Business Alliance movement, and so there are now uh, over 140 uh, independent business alliances across the country. Um, the program, you know, as I said, has been has been growing a lot, and really, I think has has played a role in shifting public consciousness. I wonder if you could give us some specifics about how those establishments, the larger places, end up affecting um, our economy 
and things that um, perhaps the regular shopper may not notice or may not be aware of um, if I were to spend $5.82 at Walmart instead of $6.25 at mom and pops down the street. Well, we're really shopping ourselves out of a, out of decent jobs and, and decent incomes is, is what it really comes down to. Um, you know, what has happened is that, that, you know, big box retailers are really undermining several key pillars of the American middle class. We've lost millions of manufacturing jobs, which have been shipped overseas, um, often under direct pressure from companies like Home Depot and Walmart saying, you know, we've got to cut costs and bring, uh, you know, we've got to do low wage labor. Um, We've also lost tens of thousands of small businesses, uh, often family supporting um, jobs and incomes that come with, with those businesses. And all we've really gotten in exchange are very low wage jobs working at these stores. And so in a nutshell, you know, the sort of Walmart economy really uh, illustrates the larger problem that we're facing in the U.S. economy, where you've got this shrinking middle class and you've got growing numbers of people who are working poor, who are working full time. But don't make enough to get by and in fact are relying on food stamps and Medicaid and other forms of public assistance. You know, the bottom line is that there is a huge hidden cost. You know, we think that these prices are low, um, but in fact, um, they're, they're low only so long as those companies face real competition. We know that prices uh, at, at big box retailers actually rise when local competition disappears. Um, and they're low only if you don't only if you ignore all of these larger um, consequences, you know, it's we're we're hardly doing ourselves any favors um, if we, you know, say, you know, think that we're saving money, but meanwhile, um, we're eliminating the, you know, the many middle middle class jobs in our economy and the opportunities that that we need. I think the other um, really critical, you know, piece of this is that communities are losing. Um, their local decision-making capacity. You know, we're relinquishing control over our future to distant corporations that do not have our best interests in mind, you know, who may be here today and gone tomorrow. Um, there's a lot of research and we've, I, I, I've written about recently, there's an article up on our, our website about um, how, you know, communities that have a larger share of locally owned businesses are actually much um, healthier socially and civically. Um, people are much more likely to belong to neighborhood organizations, to get involved um, in various kinds of community initiatives, to attend city council meetings. They even vote more like more often um, than people who live in communities where the economy is really dominated by big business. So there is a there is a, a, a cost here as well to the social and civic fabric of the places that we live. So you're finding that this idea of supporting the local economy and working with local independent businesses is something that has sort of taken hold and um, people have decided that this is something that they feel worthwhile. Is that right? It's it's true. There's been this growing public consciousness uh, in the last few years around the idea of supporting independent businesses. The question I think really is how, you know, now that we have these successful models and this renewed public support, how do we shift that from being, you know, something that's an interesting and fairly remarkable trend, but still very small? How do we make it be more the mainstream of the economy? So how do we do this? I mean, what do we need to do to make um, what appears to be a small trend turn into the way everybody does business? 
Well, I think one of the real keys is we've got to focus on public policy. And, and this is really, you know, this is central to the Institute's work, of course. Um, and it's a central part of what the Independent Business Initiative, you know, what we've been doing there. And it's a lot of, of what I wrote about in my book, Big Box Swindle, um, which is that, you know, these, these companies have risen to dominance um, not solely because of consumer choices. They've also been aided and abetted to a large degree by public policy. You know, we've our, our our you know state, local, federal government is just riddled with subsidies and tax advantages, with regulations that favor the big guys and undermine local businesses. And so that's really what I think we need to focus on next is changing those things. You know, we need to get rid of all of the tax loopholes. I mean, you know, Amazon is a really great example, and we're in the midst of the holiday season, so really worth thinking about how your Amazon shopping undermines your community. But, you know, here is a here is a company that really vir creates virtually no jobs in your local community, and yet it has been exempt from having to collect sales tax uh, for its entire existence. You know, my my if I go down to my local bookstore or my local clothing store uh, and buy something, I'm going to have to pay, you know, 5%, 6% sales tax uh, on that item. But Amazon is exempt. Uh, what we're really working on, what we're uh, you know, pushing is that you know that that all of these grassroots groups that have come together around supporting local economies, um, we need to get much more serious about changing state and federal policy. And how do we do that? Uh, what are a few strategies that um, you found work? What are what are ways for um, everyday people to get involved in this? One, of course, is to look at your own um, spending and shopping decisions. If you're if you're spending. Uh, five out of every $10 with locally owned businesses, try to make it six. The second thing is to really talk with your neighbors and with the community organizations and neighborhood groups that you're involved with to sort of raise the overall public awareness level in your community. You know, maybe consider writing a letter to the editor or posting something on your Facebook page. We've actually got some great graphics up on our Facebook page, on the ILSR Facebook page right now about the 10 reasons to choose locally owned businesses. You know, that's a great, simple, easy way to share some of this information. And uh, especially this time of year when people are making a lot of discretionary spending choices. And then I think after that, um, you know, it's it's beginning to focus on some of the policies that you can change locally. Um, it could be working with your city council to get a local purchasing preference so that when, you know, public contracts and public purchasing, there's a preference given to locally owned businesses or out-of-state companies. Um, it could working with your local city council to um, move public funds so that public funds are not uh, with big Wall Street banks but are actually uh, invested in local banks and credit unions, which we know do far more small business lending and thus help to grow your local economy. Uh, at the state level, there are all kinds of opportunities to, to um, call your representatives about getting rid of um, subsidies and tax loopholes. Um, and we're, of course, making a big push this year to close the internet sales tax loophole. It's really time for, for a playing field uh, for small businesses. And that's something that Congress is going to be looking at. It's called the Market Street uh, uh, Marketplace Fairness Act. And I really encourage everyone to call their senator or representative and voice support for that. So that's something where a call could really uh, make a difference. And all of these things I've just mentioned, um, there's tons of information on the ILSR site. If you want model policies, if you want the research to back them up, if you want to understand the sales tax issue and what the arguments are there, it's all on our website.
We encourage everybody who's listening to go and check it out at ilsr.org. Um, also, Stacy, we haven't talked about what you're going to be doing next. Tell me what's next for you. Yeah, I'm working right now on um, uh, on a research article that's looking at you know how we can solve the issue of food deserts with locally owned options that create quality jobs and communities and and real ownership, so that we're not just bringing you know, fresh food to neighborhoods that lack it, but we're also bringing businesses that can create real economic benefits and economic development, which I think is critical. Thanks so much, Stacy, for talking to us. We're looking forward to talking to you again um, when you get your article done. We will definitely want to get an update. Um, it's been great talking to you. Thanks, Lisa. Take care. That was Stacy Mitchell. As she mentioned in the podcast, there are many resources to help you spread the word about the benefits of nurturing our local economy and ways to share that wisdom with local policymakers, friends, and neighbors. You can also watch Stacy's recent TEDx lecture, which is posted on the ILSR website. It's a great lecture, and you should take the time to listen. You can follow Stacy on Twitter at Stacy F as in Frank Mitchell, and you can sign up for her newsletter, The Hometown Advantage, at the ILSR.org website also. Thanks so much for listening to our first edition of What You're Working On. Thanks also to Latch Swing for their music, provided to us through a Creative Commons license. The song is called Gitan. Gitan.